Hello, my name is Philip Mirton, and today we are going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. Now today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, and that is the topic of worldviews. And I've titled this show, Worldview Thinking. The reason why worldviews are so important is because we don't think about them that much. When we ask ourselves, well, what is a worldview, we tend to say, well, it's, it's, it's the way you look at the world, or it's the eyes through which you see the world. But there's a lot of things that go into our worldviews that are at the base, the base of the lens through which we see the world. It's sort of like a navigation system for the mind, a story we tell ourselves. But the problem we have with worldviews is that we don't question them very much. We tend to accept them as given. We're brought up with worldviews, and the rest of our life is spent seeing the world through these eyes. One example I could give is looking at the difference between the worldview of, of a woman raised in a Muslim country versus somebody raised in Southern California. They're both human beings, they're both women, but depending upon the culture, the belief systems, the religious systems that one is raised in, these two people with the same bodily parts will see the world differently. Now, on today's show, we're going to be talking with ordained Presbyterian minister Mark Hunneman, who has written a new book called Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes, A Worldview Analysis of Earthbound Spirits. And in this show, as, as you'll see, we're going to be entering new territory as we try to understand this concept of worldview thinking. Welcome to the show, Mark. I appreciate it. It's, um Thank you for having me on. Well, first of all, Mark, let's let's talk about it. You've spent some time uh, studying what a worldview is, and I like it's probably good to maybe put in your own words from your research. What is a worldview? I love the way you introduced that, Phil. I was introduced to thinking worldviewishly back in 1974 when I read a book entitled. Um, the universe next door, and it was it's like a catalog uh, worldviews, and it basically said exactly what you just did, that uh, few are the people who are consciously aware of this, um, I guess you call tacit realm that we all ha have that really affects all of us, um, what we think, how we feel, um, our behavior. And um, so my initial introduction to worldview thinking was, was through that book when I was a senior in high school. And um, then I have devoted the rest of my life to trying to think consciously through what my worldview is and subjecting my worldview to analysis to see if it was um, 
correspond to reality and if it was internally consistent as well. I believe there's some tests that worldviews can be analyzed by to see if they are in fact true or not, which which actually raises the most basic worldview issue of all, and that's the nature of truth, which has changed um, drastically just in our generation, as you know, Phil. Yeah, well, let me let me just sort of put this in a different perspective, or or yeah. maybe try to elaborate a little bit. And that one way, and and I think it's fascinating trying to understand a worldview. And frankly, it's something that's really not that complicated, because another way to put yeah. a worldview is philosophy, metaphysics, mindset, attitude. There's all sorts of other words that we could use, but one. One uh, thought that comes to my mind or metaphor is sort of like a mail sorting setter where you have all these random pieces of mail coming into a distribution center. And the mail comes in and some machine or people, they throw the mail into different baskets. And that's sort of the way a worldview works in my mind where we have these these events in our lives, people, experiences, uh, uh uh, ideas, books, uh, TV shows, phenomena like ghosts, <laughs> and they come into our our world, and we sort of filter them into different categories. One of the things that I have tried to do on this show, and I will continue to try to do, is to try to make ourselves question the worldview we hold, because, and that's really the scientific process, because if my feeling is is that a world if a worldview is true if the beliefs are true then it should withstand questioning and that's sort of that is the scientific approach to life now now you had just got done talking about this method system of determining the truth of a worldview why don't you elaborate on that a bit well if one thing there's a, there's a correspondence theory of truth does what a worldview teach about the nature of, say, anthropology, the nature of man, does it correspond to what we intuitively know is true about our humanness? Uh, some worldviews are just you know, patently uh, out of sync with what we know uh, to be true, and others are more, um, more, more, more clear or, I think, uh, accurate. Uh, what... I think ultimate reality, what is ultimate reality or what is God-like, um, that has changed. Um, but how we determine, to me, the truth of it um, is itself a process that is um, takes a while, really, because it is something that we are born into and we have to consciously decide that we're going to, like you said, it's the filter through which well, this notion of, of being uh, an obje- totally objective um, receiver of data that comes to us is, is, is a fiction. We all have the filter, as you mentioned, that does filter all the data that comes to us. So when it comes to any phenomena or any data, whether it's uh, normal or paranormal, we're seeing it through the, the lenses that we have developed over the years, and um, so two people would be looking at the same thing, but not seeing the same thing, because the color of their glasses are different, 
your worldview glasses, and it really profoundly changes how we see things. Right, right. Now, so, I, yeah, right. I want to add here that that, and maybe this is where you're going, but I I've always thought that in order for there to be sort of better agreement among different belief systems, and that would be different religions, uh, different scientific standpoints, different cultures, nationalities, we need to agree on basic elements of a worldview. And, and, this, and this gets into, is there, is there a worldview or a lens that is common to everybody? Now, we may not get there today, but I want to emphasize that to me, the worldview is so important because there because we're we're all human beings we're all uh, of the same form we all have similar tendencies but yet we we think a lot differently and and I happen to think that we let our more superficial beliefs opinions sort of control us and we wind up getting in these feuds conflicts when we when we don't realize that there's a greater uh, commonality or a greater a uh, broader worldview lens that 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 joins us and so that's something that I wanted to emphasize that I and I don't think I, th I don't think you're saying that this is all relative I think that's one of your points in your book that it's not just like well since since worldviews, since everyone has their own worldview, you know whatever whatever is good for you is 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 your is your worldview, and everyone has their own cup of tea and their own way of looking at things. I don't think you're saying that. Is that right? Correct. That that would be right. I am not saying that. <laughs> right, right, right. So what what got you interested in this topic of worldviews? I had a, as with many people feel, I think when something tragic happens in your life, it, it, I was 17 when my hero, my older brother, Jack, died at 20 in an accident. Yeah. And it threw my comfortable little world um, into confusion, and I started questioning every, everything, because up to that point, I was known as Jack's brother. Yeah. And so I didn't really know who I was, and to make a long story short, um, I began, well, it started off pretty rough, because uh, it was, it started off as being like a rebellion against everything I knew and, and loved, uh, but that was just a process of grieving. But when I settled down, Phil, it was more, okay, I was raised Catholic, and with my parents, you know, us 10 kids and a family, and I know what my heart has believed in order to help me to get through the death of my brother. But when I got into college, uh, I started studying philosophy, and it challenged what I believed. And I, I experienced what um, the philosopher said, fides quorans and electums, faith-seeking understanding. In other words, my head wanted to catch up with my heart. And I, I do believe that any worldview or faith um, that's worth its salt is going to stand up to analysis, as you said. If it doesn't stand up to analysis, it's not worthy of being um, believed in. And I always tell people that honest intellectual questions should be met with dignity and should be answered with honest intellectual uh, answers. And that's that's the kind of I went through a period of honest doubt 
when I a period of like three or four years where I questioned what my I was in two minds. I was a Christian and remain a Christian and am now still a Christian, but even more um, firmly so because I um, su- submitted my basic belief to very serious analysis. And I saw that it was at the area of presuppositions that was most crucial and which is most often overlooked in discussions because lots of times when we discuss this or that issue, people talk past each other, right? and they get a sense of talking past each other, and they're kind of scratching their, each other's head and frustrated. The reason is that that happens is because they're not dealing with the more basic presuppositions from which their opinions flow. In this case, for example, it would be where does, what's the ultimate um, criterion for determining what is truth when it comes to ethics. And uh, if that's not discussed, and if you're discussing abortion or euthanasia or whatever, then you're just going to end up talking past each other because, you know, the, that's, that's, the, that's the issue. It's not a generational, the, uh, it's not so much of a generation um, gap as it is a uh, epistemological gap that we're experiencing with a lot of people. Uh, in the nature of truth today. Well, well, what, well, is is there is there a a correct worldview or a right worldview? And then and then, do you think it's possible for for everyone to reach it? I mean, that's a tough. It, it's a compound question there, but I think we I think we have to go there. Uh, you were going to comment upon you know how one determines whether a worldview is is true or not, but do you think that there is a a correct worldview? Yes, yes, I do. And and, and I know that, that yes, uh, go I ahead. Do, so. Go ahead. And and so and so, what what is that based on? Well, for me, it's it's based on years of putting the different components of it to different kinds of tests and analysis, whether or not it corresponds to meets the, the um, criteria of the correspondence theory of truth and then also the um, coherence theory of truth, whether or not it's internally coherent. Some systems of truth, like saying there's no such thing as absolute truth, that's internally inconsistent because you're making an absolute statement right there. And, you know, back in the 40s when there was the uh, positivist movement, Phil, right. remember when... They were saying that any statements that were not factual in nature, not scientific, that that, uh, that those statements were meaningless. Well, someone pointed out that that was that that statement itself um, was a not based on fact. But with that, with that one observation, logical positivism fell apart um, because it's. it's <coughs> All because of an analysis of, of um, you know, where the presuppositions are and whether or not they are internally consistent. So I think that um, for me, the um, and so and I think for everyone, if something is true, then it's true. That has become the issue of our generation. You know, Pilate said to Jesus, "What is truth?" And that's the biggest question I see now, Bill. Is there such a thing as real 
truth that's transgenerational and transcultural. And for me, that would be the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. And um, I've seen, because of my own study, that it does stand up to the critics, you know, archaeological and otherwise, as far as getting us good data and reason to believe that it's personal revelation from an infinite personal God to us. Okay, so we're going to be getting into into uh, using the Bible as a worldview in in a in a couple minutes. And but first of all, this is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're having a conversation here with Mark Hunneman, the the author of the new book, Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes: A Worldview Analysis of Earthbound Spirits. We're going to be talking about what seeing the world through God's eyes does to a belief in spirits and the paranormal. So stay tuned here. Now, now let's let's uh, take this apart a bit, uh, Mark. First of all, the correspondence theory. You you know you mentioned that, and the listeners may not be completely familiar with that concept. What is the correspondence approach to truth? It would be, as opposed to the um, coherence theory, which is more, um, is there a, is there a um, in- internal type of um, symmetry to it? The correspondence theory basically is just saying, does, does this belief system or does this worldview, um, is it, does it fit the facts? Does it really display... Is it plausible in light of what my experience is of the world? Is it realistic? You know, does it, does it, uh, I don't want to keep using the word correspond because that would. Well, but, well, um, well, I, I would just, I would just add here that, that one of the, one of the um, sort of depictions of a scientific theory that I use a lot, and I use it in my own book, The Heaven at the End of Science, is uh, Stephen Hawking says in A Brief History of Time, that a scientific theory is simply a model of reality, and all all scientists try to do with theories is to align a mental concept with something happening out in the world, and the better they align or correspond with each other, the more valid the theory is. And so, to well, me, so so to me, the corns the correspondence theory is very similar to how we judge the truth or strength of a scientific theory. Now, now let's 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 take the next love step that, here. By the way. Pardon? I love that by the way. Let's let's take the next step here for a moment. You have an interest as well in the paranormal and and maybe specifically ghosts. And that is what I think is unique about your book is that is that it's one thing to sort of give a perspective of life, seeing things through God's eyes, which which is, itself is a unique perspective, but but then but but then but then you sort of combine these two concepts. In some ways, I was I was thinking, okay, we've got the supernatural, and we're looking at the paranormal, which is sort of, you know, some people would put those into similar categories. But before, but I I like to. First, have you explain what what got you interested in in the paranormal? 
my initial experience happened 13 years ago when I was, again, isn't it true, Phil, that when we go through trauma that we're more open to, I guess, truth or... Yeah, yes. Anyway, I'm yeah, going yeah, through yes. my divorce. Yeah, I, w- I would yeah. say, I would just, uh, I would just uh, brief interrupt you and say, I, I agree with you on that, because I think that we're, like, emotionally raw. I think the, I think that, I always think, I always think of the term rawness when something like that happens. For some reason, all these, all these uh, protections, cushions, defenses are, are sort of stripped away in moments of, of trauma or despair, and we stand, like, naked. Or raw. So I would agree with you. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, thank you, because that, that, that's well said. Very well said. I was in that state of rawness, and I was taking a walk through a battle, battlefield here in my hometown of Greensboro, North Carolina. It's a Revolutionary War, War for Independence battle, which is very bloody. make a long story short, um, I, I had a paranormal experience in which I saw this what is called a shadow figure in front of me about 20 feet away. I kind of mentally shelled that for the reasons that I was on the front burner of my mind. At that point was the, the shattering of my family, and I didn't really care too much about it. I was startled, but it was not until about four years ago when I was recovering from a heart procedure in which I had a um, defibrillator and a pacemaker implanted in my chest. And I was watching a lot more television than normal convalescing, and I just saw show after show after show, which were ghost-related or paranormal-related, but mostly ghost-related. And in a word, I just saw how ensconced in our culture the notion of ghosts had become. And in the span of 15 years, there had been an explosion of interest in the paranormal in general and in trapped spirits in particular. And uh, it both intrigued me and alarmed me at the same time. Um, and it was so, um, when, I, when I saw what I thought was the first indisputable evidence of supernatural on, on TV, I almost fell off the couch. <laughs> yeah. It was the first time I'd seen that. And yeah. you know, Phil, that many people, <clears throat> being a Presbyterian minister, there are a ton of people who are walking away from the conventional church and would say that they're they're not religious and not, but they're spiritual. That means different things to different people. But the way I hear it, for most people, it mainly means that they're not into. Um, and some of your listeners may disagree with this definition. But basically, in in our country, there's been a wide walking away from what the hidden God of Christianity. But people still have a visceral desire for spiritual reality. So you can imagine sitting there watching TV, and then, you know, they're seeing supernatural, real supernatural activity happening before them on, you know, one of these channels. It's the, the, the connection is electric. Yeah. Because immediately the person is going to intuitively say, hey, this is evidence of, of the afterlife. And that is one of the biggest um, rawest questions of, of mankind. Is you know what happens when we die, so so so, that let, is what I'm so first of all, I think it's it's a amazing conflict we have in our psyche that in the in the background here that we're living in a scientific world where we have things like the Large Hadron Collider in 
France and Switzerland looking for the ultimate particle, the God particle, as they call it. And we're sending rockets up into outer space looking for life or looking for the farthest a galaxy and taking pictures of everything. And, and, then, and then we have this, this other part of our psyche where a good percentage of the population in the U.S. and across, and across the world, a good percentage believe in ghosts, the paranormal, angels, heaven. And so, we, and so if, you, if you read books from the leading scientists, they're going to say uh, almost, almost uh, unanimously that these beliefs in the paranormal is really childish and is really fantasy. So, so I want to put that in the background here because I think one of the, the, the uh, tests or one of the challenges with finding a, the correct worldview is encompassing the, all the experiences of humankind in one picture, in one story. And, and that's, that's why I think this worldview um, angle is important is because we're living, I think, with a disjointed worldview right now. We have science and religion. But you know where they, where they do uh, where there is a point of contact though, Phil. Where's that? Is what I would call an energy centric worldview. Okay. What what physicists that even would disdain the notion of ghosts, there's become increasingly because of in the last hundred years the loss of the Christian consensus. America's never been a Christian country, but there 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 was certainly more of a Christian influence in culture a hundred years ago than now. Never, never consistently. But the point is, is that an energy-centric worldview is being postulated by the uh, physicist, which sits in and is being used by um, folks within the paranormal community to buttress their support. Uh, there's a guy named Bert um, Goldman who talks about what he what he calls quantum jumping. Right, and um, he, he said it was the findings of science in the last few years that gave him, emboldened him to come out with what he thought people would otherwise think was a pretty outrageous idea. But there are there are a number of scientists who would say there's an infinite number of, of uh, universes, and uh, they're talking about that. Now I, I disagree with that vehemently. Right, but. There, there are physicists who would most definitely uh, affirm that view, and um, definitely with the notion of, of the energy uh, displacing as ultimate reality instead of a creator god, right. energy being ultimate reality. And right. that fits in perfectly, Phil, with the notion of ghosts, because uh, that's the one thing that... Uh, um, it can be, because most mo- most investigators that are serious about what they do try, try to be scientific. Um, they really do, and they're they're proud of their efforts to be scientific. And there are there is evidence that whatever it is that's, that's being um, hunted hunted in these locations is leaving some scientific uh, data that is energy related. Well, well, I. I... I want to draw a distinction here, first of all, and, and what you said, I would agree with, that there are a lot of thinkers, and Dean Radin, who's one of the leading paranormal researchers in the world, the author of uh, The Conscious Universe and Entangled Minds, uh, who 
who is who's uses quantum entanglement, which is a, which is a aspect of quantum theory, uh, suggesting that indeed the particles that make up the world are entangled and are are in contact with each other through some through some kind of instantaneous means of communication that he uses quantum entanglement as a possible explanation for remote viewing mind uh, telepathy and other other uh, psychic phenomena and so there's no doubt and I, I would agree with you that meant that there's a lot of people who use uh, the the quantum approach to explain the paranormal some folks would take another step and go to Einstein's, you know, um, energy equals mass times times of the speed of light squared equals mc squared to also sort of buttress that. But you're coming from a different direction on this, right? Your 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 viewpoint is not this energy based thing, right? I I I think the first question right. though is, do you think that ghosts and and I I'd rather use the word spirits, but I guess we'll go with ghosts. Do you, do you do you think that ghosts are real? Yes and no. And I'm not playing around with you when I say that. I have no doubt that the, that the spirit phenomena is real. But as far as ghosts being defined as a uh, as a deceased human being, absolutely not. Um, they're demonic entities mimicking, um, and it's happening in huge numbers. Huge numbers, millions of people in America are experiencing this still. Okay, okay, uh, so okay, so first of all, this is Philip Merritton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking to Mark Hunneman, the author of um, Seeing Ghosts Through God's Eyes, and we're right in the middle of a very controversial topic, which is: Are ghosts real? And what is and what is the reality? What does the reality of ghosts say? about worldviews and about seeing the world through God's eyes. Now, now, so your yes, when you said, when I asked you the question, are ghosts real, your yes was, yes, there is a spiritual realm. But what you're saying is that the ghosts as, as imagined through some paranormal researchers, i.e. that they're disembodied people or whatever, that those are not real? Yes, it's a misidentification. The, the experience is real. The phenomenon is real. It's just simply a, a case of misidentification. But okay. It's a profound, serious misidentification. Okay. okay, so let's. Okay, I'd like you to elaborate upon this because this is something that I think is unique in in your book. It, and it is your sort of recategorization or reanalysis of what of what some people view to be ghosts so why don't okay so so there is this image of a ghost being the what the spirit or the soul I think you call it the trapped spirit the earthbound trapped spirit of a deceased person is that is that the way you put yes. it? To be fair to the paranormal community, Phil, um, and I really was trying, at all points I tried not to erect a, a straw man and attack it. Um, the agreed definition in a paranormal community of a ghost or earthbound spirit is simply the um, due to a traumatic or 
premature death, some people's souls become trapped here. Um, that's the simple definition of okay. a ghost or okay. spirit or a ghost. Okay. Okay, okay. And so based upon your research, including the, the number of TV shows, um, The Ghost Hunters, and there was another one, that I think you that I think you mentioned that they tend to give this picture of a ghost as being as fitting this definition. Yes. Right. right. Okay. Okay. And so across the board. Okay. They so, do. They do acknowledge. Um, most would also acknowledge what is either called a negative spirit or a malevolent spirit, or even even oftentimes uh, the realm of the demonic. But, the, but most of the phenomena within the paranormal community is still, or paranormal activity is still identified with uh, ghostly activity. That is, the activity of people that have died. And my contention is that uh, there, there, there is uh, no ghostly activity. It's real. And there's no, if, if someone, and this is something that's quantifiable, Phil, if someone is willing to take the time, and I had to because I, I was so impassioned to find out whether or not what I was seeing on on the TV was just being, um, uh, you know, produ in, produced in such a way for a good entertainment. And in the in the years that have followed, I have done my own research and have experienced the reality of seeing uh, the phenom spirit phenomena which can be very startling, uh, if not frightening. It's very real, and there are, there are millions of Americans, and I stress that, millions of Americans who are experiencing supernatural reality uh, phenomena in their homes. And that's why it's so important right now. This is not just a you know, theoretical discussion, so to speak. This is real for many people, and I get calls all the time from people who are terrified of what's happening in their home. They're being attacked by something they can't see. And uh, that's cool. Well, well, let me let me let me just say a couple of things here because I, I this is this is a really amazing uh, topic here. First of all, I I think it's it's always maybe troubling is the right word when when we watch TV and we get these these pictures, these stories, these images in our mind, and, and, tends, and they tend to blur over to reality. It's, it's sort of like, um, you know, learning about science from reading the newspaper. Uh, and Or reading, uh, it's the same thing about learning about the paranormal from watching TV shows. I'm not going to say that all TV shows are wrong or they're false, but, the, but, but because there is an entertainment value to all of it. And, and it's always good, I, and I think that this is one thing your book does, and I would also um, you know, encourage listeners to, to read other, other books on the paranormal, such as those by Charles Tart or Dean Radin, to get a, another perspective on this. But, I, but it goes to question your worldview, question your outlook towards the world. But I, but I, I think off the bat... There is a certain amount of 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 a, a, a grain of salt we need to take TV shows with. Number one, number two, I myself have never seen a ghost, and I would, and any listener that has seen what they thought or viewed to be a ghost or a spirit, 
um, I would ask them to you know send me an email at philipmerton at gmail.com and we'll talk about it on a, on a next show or two because I'm I'm very interested how pervasive this is okay so mark you mentioned that in your studies experience millions of people have encountered what they thought were ghosts is that right yeah, yeah. right okay and so you're saying that that the paranormal community which would which would say that these are trapped spirits of somebody that had a premature or untimely death that that is the wrong viewpoint that that's not correct right Right. Right. Okay. 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 So, so what is the right viewpoint? It goes back to, if I may, Phil. Sure. Um, what is the correct worldview? Is it, is it, for me, theocentric? Uh, my worldview is theocentric, God-centered. Um, whereas for most, um, most investigators, if they even think about wor- thinking worldviewishly, it's more ener- energy-centric. Having said that. Um, the ultimate criterion for me for determining what is true and what is false uh, would be uh, the Bible, God's revelation to us, his oracle to us, as David would call it. point being is that even most people within the paranormal community would acknowledge from their own experience, having gotten hours and hours and hours of EVPs, uh, which, by the way, is just as dangerous as doing... Uh, Having an EVP session is just as dangerous as doing a Ouija board because you're trying to uh, elicit a response from the spirit realm, and that is extremely dangerous. Okay, okay, I'm and sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What is an EVP? Why don't you, what is okay, an EVP? An EVP is an electronic voice phenomena, and there are tens of thousands of hours um, of recordings of voices. Okay, okay. Um, which I which I do take as being voices from quote the other side, um, and they are. But to answer your your question is that when people go in to investigate, folks are making claims, anything from like knocks on the on on the walls to being scratched, um, and a- anything in between. You know, their dog sensing something or. Um, Doors opening, closing by themselves, and this stuff. This stuff has really happened. I've been on many dozens and dozens of cases and, and uh, experiences myself. So I know the phenomenon is happening. So the point is, is that if there is such a thing as a demon, which is pure evil according to scripture, fallen angels, then that that poses a real problem. It's, it becomes problematic for identifying. Uh, Coming up with criteria for determining what a, what for a ghost is, because according to what the Bible says, a demon can appear as an angel of light, and what that means is, since they're total spiritual darkness, devoid of any holiness whatsoever, if they can do that, then they, you know, appearing as a little um, apparition of a little girl or uh, the EVP electron voice phenomenon of uh, a baby crying or even appearing as a cat or a dog kind of apparition, which happens pretty often. I've been on a case where that has happened. It can be very, um, uh, these, uh, they are, they are deceptive and they are, uh, with the reality of the demonic, there's no, there's no way that you can then come up with a criteria for determining something 
is ghostly because they can mimic anything um, that the uh, paranormal community is saying is uh, done by an earthbound spirit. Okay, so let they, me. Okay, okay, let me let me just stop you here for a second because I I like to, you know, and and if you, I'm not I'm not going to um, agree with everything you're saying. I I want to really draw a, a distinction here because there there is a fundamental question i think with whether it's a ghost a spirit or whatever it is is whether it is externally produced or internally produced because there is this wide wide range of literature on hallucinations and and there's a new book by oliver sacks who i'm going to try to get on this show in the next couple months called hallucination where he really gives amazing stories of hallucinations that that are as real as a human being and clearly if we could hallucinate it's something that looks like a human being we could clearly hallucinate a ghost so i feel what we have is if i may okay. what, we, what what the investigators are doing and this is where i'm giving them props okay. is that they're going in with um they're going in with with recorders both auditory and visual okay can't, you can't uh, hallucination by any definition can't be cannot be uh, um, you know can't can't be recorded and there are, I mean all I can tell you That's is that yeah. for someone who's willing to do the homework I, I can I can spend them hundreds or thousands of hours of of where you see stuff it's not a hallucination field. Okay, so well, I and I'm not I'm not saying it is. I'm not I'm not. Well, let me let me just say that I think that that's I think the initial question is it externally produced or internally produced. Now I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm saying that we have to be careful, assuming it's externally produced. But what you're saying is that there are researchers that have recorded the the ghosts activities. The tens of thousands okay. of hours of, of activity that's been recorded. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. And now, and and I take it that there's also uh, because I I have to admit that I've not I've not watched these shows, although I have done reading in the paranormal. But what you're saying is that there is also there's videos with sound of ghosts. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's where there's a conspiracy of silence. I mean, forgive the term if it's too emotive, but it seems like the church and the media. Uh, is totally dismissive of this phenomenon, this juggernaut. And but um, there, as I have entered into this realm myself to help people who are being oppressed by whatever, okay, whatever it is, people are being oppressed by it. Phil, I mean, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And when I get the evidence from investigators I work with, I look at it and I see stuff that is uh, definitely supernatural in nature. Something invisible is is happening, is is is, is, is showing where there's empirical evidence of, of supernatural activity. It's just folks are not aware of just how much data there is to support that. When I watch all these TV shows, and once in a while somebody will come along, like ABC, and put on a special about it, right? And they'll they'll question whether or not there's any 
activity at Eastern State Penitentiary, which, you know, countless number of people have been in to um, uh, study, and, and they come away with, just to me, just, I just shake my head because I know, I know that, that, that there are just, um, I mean, I've got on my computer all kinds of pictures and, and uh, either, you know, again, electronic phenomena or video of stuff happening that cannot be explained away. Well, well, first it's, of it's all, well, well, first of all, uh, I, I think that it is clearly possible for there to be observed spirits and and you know again I'm not a big fan of using the word ghost only because the word ghost is one of those pop culture kind of terms that people immediately put you know raise their eyes over we have to remember well, that yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's what I call the ludicrous factor Phil yeah as you say it's like um, Casper the friendly ghost right. I don't like the word either right. because of that right 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 but but everybody but 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 let's face it I mean I I was raised in in the uh, Catholic tradition as well I mean we called it the Holy Ghost for a while there if I remember correctly mm-hmm. I know that's what yeah. I, I think it's probably still called yeah. the Holy Ghost so so it's not it's not a term I mean it, it's a term that's gained more sort of um, pop culture entertainment meaning over the years but but the point here is that I'm a little I'm not really um, sold on categorizing these these ghosts observations as either uh, a trap spirit or as a demon. Why 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 are those the only two choices? Well, you, uh, I have to again remember that my uh, ultimate criterion for determining what reality is. Is, is scripture, right? And there's another question. I mean, I put in the back of my book uh, for people who are saying, "Okay, Hunnaman, that's your worldview. That's fine. How do you know the Bible's? Uh, is there any evidence that there to suggest that it is divinely inspired?" So I put in the back of the book. I try to anticipate that question for you, and right. I put some, you know, short, um, readable resources in there for people who inquiring minds what evidence is there that the Bible is because frankly my title is extremely arrogant Phil unless it's true seeing goes through God's eyes is an incredibly arrogant title unless we have the ability to see all of reality not just paranormal but to see all of reality through God's eyes and I almost didn't call it that because of the fact uh, it sounds arrogant but that's what the beautiful thing is, as a Christian, um, I believe, because that's what Jesus taught when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he quoted scripture, God himself, he quoted from Deuteronomy. So um, that's my belief, I'm not you know, sure what well, your religious beliefs are now uh, at, at this stage of your life, but mine have been, uh, you know, if anything, strengthened by my philosophical, um, uh, I guess, pursuits, as well as my own uh, experience with people who are having these uh, experiences. When I see something that every time I would see something that they were calling a ghost, and I would say, in the name of Jesus, reveal yourself, that suddenly this little girl would start growling. And its real identity would have to uh, show itself. 
know, we're, we're going from science here to, to real kind of weird stuff, you know. This is my reality. I live with it. Okay, well, well, uh, first of all, let me let me it. just, okay, okay, that's, uh, I think that's great. For, this is Philip Merton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking to Mark Hunneman about an amazing topic, which is seeing the world through God's eyes and what that means about the reality of ghosts. I don't think that what I don't think that first of all you 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 mentioned Mark that the title is arrogant. I don't necessarily think that it's arrogant. I think the concept of seeing the world through God's eyes is one of the aspirations of spirituality. I think that I mean it it it's sort of to me it sounds a little bit like the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do to you, and remember Kant's moral imperative, which is yeah. that act act as if act as if the 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 principle upon which your conduct rests would be a universal rule for all mankind. I mean, it's sort of it's sort of to me it's the same thing. I mean, it's it, if if we read Ken Wilber and even you know I'm my book is exactly the same thing. We should act as if as if we are God and 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 so I understand from the from the Christian standpoint the 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 image of God is different and that's and that's that's what we haven't we haven't done on this show we haven't really had time to get into you know it's not only how you ask a question ie what is God but but the mindset from which you ask it or the worldview from which you ask it and yeah. and so and so, I don't I don't um, I mean, and I also want to say that we could go on and on about the Bible. I think that's one of the most fascinating topics of all time, um, because because for example, one point I would make to you that's controversial is that let's assume the Bible is is inspired. Let's suppose it is revelation. It was indisputably written by human beings, indisputable. It was written by a human being, by human beings, and the books combined. But also, why, why only this book and only these people? There is no explanation that I'm aware of, of why, why there should only be one revelation. Okay, now that's an incredibly controversial... The truth. It's, it's, it's a really controversial... The truth, Bill. Pardon? Truth, truth, truth by its very nature is going to exclude error. That would be my response. It's going to exclude error. What does that mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, if there is such a thing, and again, this is not something, when we were kids, we knew there was an understanding that there was a objective truth. Right. So the average person and Professor Bloom, um, right. I'm sorry, I forget his first name, but he wrote no. The Closing of the American Mind. Right, right. Because there's one thing that. he knew about 95% of incoming freshmen, and that is that he knew that they had bought hook, line, hook, line, and sinker, the notion that all truth was relative, um, and that they had misappropriated Einstein's principle of relativity and applied it to the nature of truth. Right. So that's it's not so much a generation gap that's in, that's troubling our our culture today, Phil, as it is a um, uh, epistemological. You know, what is the nature of truth or knowledge? And you it really a deep study of our culture is showing that's becoming 
increasingly more pagan, more spiritual, and uh, as we come to scientific, science is actually becoming more spiritual, but it's becoming, it's becoming wed with a neo-Gnostic pagan view of reality. That's where America is going, Phil. Well, I don't... Was, well, this is this is a great. I mean, I I don't agree. I don't agree for the, the reason that. Well, first of all, I agree with you that science is becoming more spiritual. I also agree with you that this topic, this this response that people have, whether they're re, whether they're religious or not, they say, "Well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual." I think that that's really one of the key, you know, statements in our modern culture. I don't yeah, think yeah. that I don't think that is a bad thing because because ultimately we have to evolve, we have to develop. And this is just me talking. I, we we have to move beyond sort of this this archaic uh, written in stone mindset and place the words of the Bible and the words of the Quran and the Upanishads and all these great ancient texts into an all-encompassing worldview see that's where i that's where i come down on this and and this is where we're different and i'm not saying i'm so right let me ask you this yeah, how do you how do you deal then with um mutually exclusive true claims like jesus saying that he's you know he he that he was raised from the dead and that he was god and human flesh and then the quran and others uh, deny that how, no, how do you make it internally consistent? Well, well, the, well. First of all, I don't. I th remember the Koran believes that Jesus was a messenger of God. The Koran, yeah, the Koran doesn't. Well, I, I don't. I don't think that Jesus. Well, this is a different topic, but I don't think Jesus Christ ever said he was God. I think that oh, yeah, people, I, do. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I don't know. Well, we could do that. We could do that on, on a later show because we're not going to have time. Okay, to, sorry. No, that's me. okay. It's a, it's a very, this, this is, believe me, the purpose of the show is that there's no limits here. <laughs> there's no holds barred. <laughs> this, this is, this is all about being open-minded. We cannot, we cannot, this is, I tell people, pretend as if you're in a dorm room your first semester in college where you were, where you, you were right, right, where you were just, because we're never going to advance beyond our, our truncated, divided, schizophrenic viewpoint towards the world and other people unless we ask these questions. And, and yeah, as so, I, can and, I, can I say here, if I may, sure, I'm sure, go sorry, ahead. Sure. is, um, Lewis had a, a cool phrase. He said, we got to be careful he was a brilliant man, and he said, but he said, you know, let's try not to be chronological, what he said, uh, guilty of chronological snobbery, thinking that what has, in the past, what he, you know, he loved old books, just because something is old or old-fashioned um, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, it's wrong, and I'm not saying they're saying that, right? But it, it really, a lot of it depends upon the ultimate nature of truth. Because if truth is objective and real, and that's that's the Bible's view of itself, and that was Jesus's view of the Bible, is that it was God's actual oracle, His very revelation, you know, to us, with transgenerational and transcultural up to the second relevance. If that's the case, then that means it's just as real and relevant today than it was, you know, uh, four thousand years ago when Abraham. Uh, was chosen, and so forth. 
uh, really, it really boils down to an, uh, a discussion, I believe, of the nature of truth. Is it objective and um, uh, absolute, or is it uh, subjective and relative? Right, right, but 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 we but we need to we need to reach a broader a wider perspective of truth because the, the there must be a way to combine the belief systems of the world's great religions. I mean there must I mean, be a way that, that was the whole idea in the nineteenth century when you know that our um, when they when that big whole movement to, to 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 try to find the commonality and that was the fatherhood of God and and uh, the brotherhood of man and right. um, uh, but I would just simply point out that you know there are real differences in the mindset uh, in the worldviews of of the Bible and Upanishad, for example. Okay. I mean, those are mutually exclusive. Now, you see, for example, I, now... you know the, the nature of history. Is it circular, or is it linear? Is it going to moving towards the return of Christ, or is it just is there a reincarnation that's going on? No, no, it's the, hard to mix those, Phil. No, right? but let me let me just say this, and this this is this is to me something that is is so apparent, and that is we have we have some of the great thinkers of history, and I, I mention uh, Albert Einstein a lot uh, on this show, and in fact, what I'm going to say about him, I've repeated. Um, and others have repeated, but you know he had this line about how um, you can't solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that created it, and and we talk about rising consciousness. You know that's part of, that's another theme of this show. We we are when we say that the religions conflict with each other. I hate to say it, but but we're looking at it from one level of consciousness. We need to rise above it. And, and so that's really what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that in order to be true to what the greatest teachers have said, the, which, is that, which is that you can't, you have to like rise above, you have to have a broader uh, consciousness, a, a, a bigger picture. We're not going to solve the problems, the conflict, for example, between Muslims and, and Judaism by one level of consciousness. You've got to rise above it. And, and with that, we have come to the end of the show, and, you know, we, we didn't really, well, we've done a lot, but we are limited in time. But, Mark, I want to give you an opportunity here to sort of wrap things up from your perspective and to tell people a little bit about how they can learn more about what you're doing and about this fascinating topic of what ghosts really are and about how looking at ghosts or the paranormal through God's eyes may be of value to some people. So why don't you just try to uh, summarize things a bit and tell people how they can learn more about you and your book. Thank you. First of all, Phil, thank you for the honor and the privilege of having this, this discussion with you. It's been very stimulating. and You've been a very gracious co host. And to all the audience, um, I know that uh, a fair number of you, either yourself or you know someone or you know someone who knows someone who's having odd activity in their house. Um, so if that's the case, my simple point is this, is that uh, all paranormal activity is something that should be seen as being serious. And that is a lot more common 
than um, than, than a lot of people assume. The point is is that from my perspective, it's something that's very serious, and you don't need someone to come in and um, validate what you already know is true. That is activity. My my plea is to um, think that um, the biblical or uh, Christian perspective is that there is such a thing as pure evil, and that there are a lot of people who are experiencing phenomena that is oppressing them, and is at the very least bewildering them. There's a lot of Christians or spiritual people who are wondering how to, um, I guess, relate what they believe about their spiritual beliefs to that of the paranormal. What I try to do in my book, and seeing goes through God's eyes, is to dignify those questions and, and just simply say that your intellectual questions about the paranormal deserve a um, an honest intellectual answer. And what I try to do in my book, seeing goes through God's eyes, which you could probably get you can get at Amazon and and um, paperback as well as Kindle, or you can order it from my we- uh, website. Uh, Thing goes through God's, God's eyes.com. Same as my um, book. But cheapest would be Amazon. But my final thought would be that as you think about the paranormal, it's, it's become, in my eyes, it's become the new normal because of the number of people who are clinging to it. We are, by nature, we have a visceral desire to know that there's some kind of transcendental meaning to life. And if there's, quote, proof of it, you know, with the paranormal, uh, then the folks are going to cling to that. And my, just my tender warning is that all that glistens is not gold in the paranormal. There is such thing as supernatural evil. And I have seen over and over again that reality with my own eyes and trying to help people. That's what I do. And I've seen it with my own two eyes and heard it. So, Phil, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for this very stimulating time, and I really, really do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, th- well, well, thank you, Mark. And I, and I just want to wrap up by saying that uh, how important it is for each of us to examine our worldview. Look the word up in a dictionary. It's really not that complicated. It's how we look at ourselves, other people, and God. And it's like science. This is where science and religion sort of come together. Because if a worldview is true, if a theory is true, then it should withstand questioning. And the only way Amen. we're going and the only <laughs> way and the only way we're going to get there is if we open our minds, ask the tough questions, and keep at it with with conversations like we just had reading and not being afraid to confront those big questions to change our perspective we're going to have to need we're going to need to change the way we look at the world and hopefully at the end of the day we come out with a better world because we're looking at the world through a broader perspective This is Philip Merton, and this is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Merton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heavenattheendofscience.com.